mystical beings to another episode with Mystic and the Hague. I'm Danielle. I'm Leah. And we're here with a really special guest and their name is Emma and they're from Weaving Witch. And I'm really excited. Yeah, hello. (laughs) We're really excited because I have a pretty excited, like good connection with this human. I can't wait for you to hear about them and I'll let them introduce themselves. So thank you, Danielle. I'm Emma. I have a company called Weaving Witch and I'm really excited to be here. Me and Danielle have been tarot pen pals is what I feel like I'd like to call it and now friends, but we started as tarot pen pals for about the last year and a half, two years. Um, We've been trading readings with each other on a pretty like cyclical, just back to back basis. Like every time we finish one, we just do another. So that's been really exciting. And I'm really excited to be here and talk a little bit more about magic with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. We have been pen pals for a good year and a half. And we only recently like video met maybe Mm -hmm. three months ago. Yeah. Super recently. Oh, wow. During this whole pandemic, which is pretty funny. So, <laughs> Emma, where are you from? Like, what is your practice? Can you tell everybody about that? I'm in New York. I currently live in Brooklyn. I live in Bushwick in Brooklyn, and we have, like, a really great magical community here. So I would say I would categorize myself as an eclectic witch. I feel like I used to be like, oh, I'm a Wiccan, because I do consider, like, my magic and my spirituality my religion, but there are some aspects of Wicca that are in in aligned with my practice. For example, I only work with, well, not only, but I mostly work with female deities. And in Wicca, there's the god and the goddess traditionally. So I do like a little bit of like tweaking to the traditional magics, but I feel like that's what every eclectic witch does. And I definitely have a strong tarot practice. That's a part of my magical practice as well. I've been working with divination and tarot for about eight years now. And this year I recently started teaching tarot. So that's been super exciting. And coming up in the fall time, I'm going to be teaching a course on witchcraft as well. So I'm really excited about that. So many goodies. (laughs) So when did you start getting into witchcraft? Like when did this journey start for you? When I was about 17. I feel like that's the age that like a lot of people get into witchcraft because they're like a teenager and they want to explore that power. And I think for a lot of people, they have kind of like a witchy, goth, whatever phase when they're around that age but it definitely stuck for me my practice is really different now than it used to be I like did a bunch of love spells on my ex-boyfriend back in the day which I would not do now but (laughs) (laughs) wait you wouldn't do that now why wouldn't you do it now well you know just like ethical reasons like I don't like to do magic on people without their consent and if I do do love spells now I do it as more of like a general like bring me a partner that's aligned with me instead of trying to like put magic on a situation that's not working. But yeah, I I think that my my magic is now more so geared towards like my own personal development and my Mm -hmm. own connection to self rather in the past, it was more on like a, like an outer experience of like, oh, I want this, I want that, like manifesting. And I think a lot of people go through that when they learn magic, like learning what it's truly about because initially it is just like this like power and like this control but the more you work with it, the more you realize it's really about releasing the control than receiving it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. We're like, yeah, that resonates. Can you talk a little bit about manifestation though? Because I'm curious. I feel like now as manifestation and law of attraction and this like universal, like you can create your own life. You can create any life you want. There is this really much this desire of just getting whatever you feel like you want and you need at this time. And I'm wondering like how you shifted basically from or really truly like understanding what is manifestation versus just like going by desires. I mean, initially, like with my journey of witchcraft was like, I, at the time that I started being attracted to it, I wasn't in a position where I felt a lot of personal power or a lot of personal, I guess, understanding for a lack of a better word as well. Like I was a a teenager and I, I was in a bad relationship and I lived with my family and I was in high school and, you know, like I was trying to apply to college and these are all things that I wanted help from like the universe for like I had been reading tarot before I started doing magic and I would do readings in in tarot and I would just keep doing it over and over again because I didn't like the answer and I think that that is really like where the shift happens of in like you when you accept the messages and you accept what the universe has to offer you and then you take that acceptance and you use it to create a new story instead of trying to put pressure on the story that already exists or trying to like rewrite it so I think that with you know back to your question of like what how did the shift happen I think it's just more of like becoming more aware of the world around you and becoming more connected to like what truly matters and I I think a lot of that has to just do with like age and growth I'm still really young so obviously there's a lot of growth to work with but I definitely felt like more shifts within my magical practice when I started going to therapy and I think the combination between mental health and magic is a really strong combination and I think that we're always you know in our minds we're always manifesting we're always thinking about what we want and what we don't want and when we start to think be more mindful with our thoughts with magic is like when we think about like lack mindsets when we try to get away from that mentality of like a lack mindset of being like focusing on what you don't want rather than you do want I think when we have more of an understanding of how our minds work and how powerful our minds are whether we're doing magic or not I mean magic is really just like adding ingredients to what we're already doing with our minds and Mm -hmm. like taking a moment to quiet and concentrate and like really be extremely mindful with that energy rather than just like having it free flow during the day so I feel like I'm rambling a little bit (laughs) no this is so good like you have so many good nuggets of information that I really want to touch on in so many ways. Do you have anything that you want to add right now? Not at the moment, though I do love the idea of the relationship between mental health and witchcraft. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think about a lot. And it's it's such a powerful relationship to acknowledge and build off of. So I agree. And I'm I'm very blessed to have a witchy therapist. So I think like (laughs) that, I mean, I, that was important to me to find someone who, not only like understood my values, but like wasn't going to judge them. Like I felt like when I was considering going to therapy, like that was my number one concern was that like, Mm -hmm. I was going to go to therapy and someone was going to be like, you think you're a witch? You're crazy. (laughs) I know. I have, I had the same feeling when I went to a therapist and um, what my practice was. 
Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous about that because it's such a big part of my life that I knew it was going to come through in like every session, like whether it was just in, a, in an easy way or in a heavy way. I mean, this is especially since like my business now, when I was considering going to therapy, like that was my number one concern that they were just going to not understand it. And I just, I, I honestly really just lucked out. Like I, the therapist I have, I didn't even pick her. I just kind of picked the spot because it was close to my house and it was just divine timing and like a divine relationship that we have where she literally the other day I was like how's your morning been she's like I was watching these videos on sex magic like she's totally into it on her own which is like amazing that's so Um, cool yeah so I I also love the the relationship between mental health and magic and I think that when I do my witchcraft class it's actually going to be one of it's going to be 10 weeks but one of the weeks is going to be focused on that and I'm really excited about that because I feel like it's something that isn't talked about too much and you know not that I have a background in psychology or anything but through my own experiences I think that I can like kind of help and guide people in being mindful of integrating the two together. Totally. What I wanted to comment was the fact as someone who has a, a social work degree and working in this field it's really interesting I think if we're doing personal work especially by teachers that are led like therapists and things like that we're learning so much from them because they are teachers right and that's going to give us nuggets of information from other people to help guide other people right and when we are practicing and working with others often i don't know about you and i'm curious to hear if you have this experience as well because i know we've talked a little bit about this It's almost like when you complete a lesson, that's when somebody who comes in who is honestly like needing the same guidance around the lesson that you've learned. And I'm curious if you have noticed that in your practice or even you, Leah, with readings or anything like that. Like it just seems to be something that continues to show up for me personally. I definitely have experienced that. I feel like the way that, you know, you're wording it or describing it is in like a more cyclical way of like, oh, like you've experienced this lesson now, like you're going to get clients with that. And I feel like for me, it's been more of like a holistic experience. Whereas I feel like the clients that are drawn to me and are attracted to me are typically people who, whether they know it or not, I've had similar experiences as they have. So I'm like more easy to guide them. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a client who has, a uh, who often, reaches out to me about their relationship and their relationship reminds me a lot of a relationship I experienced in the past. And I think because I've had that experience, I am a better fit reader for them than maybe someone else that they've gone to. And that's why they feel this connection with me is because I feel like we're brought together for a reason. So I definitely think, and I've also had experiences where I will give readings to clients and I'm like, oh, I feel like these messages kind of resonate a little bit for me. Cause I think that, you know, when you do a lot of readings, that you do kind of tap into this like collective consciousness of Mm -hmm. like what everybody is going through at the same time. So like themes kind of cross over for sure. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, sorry, I keep asking all the questions. No, it's all good. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel about, and maybe I'll ask both of you this, it's like, there's a lot of controversy around um, when reading for other people that you shouldn't see yourself in any of the readings. You should be completely separate. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that I'm equally going to learn from clients as much as they're going to learn from me. And 
And that even goes down to even like my social work practice. Obviously boundaries are important and you can create boundaries in that, but lessons can be learned. And I'm curious, how do you feel about when other readers say like, no, there needs to be this fine line between you reading for the client. There can't be any like possibility of you seeing yourself in any of this, those mm. cards. Um, and like, if so, that means you're deflecting or like you're projecting in some way. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. I'm happy that you brought that up actually, because I am doing this mentorship right now that we have talked about with a good friend of mine. Her name is Lindsay Silverman. She is kind of mentoring me in how to do energy healing. And that's one of the really strong lessons that she's teaching me is to not take any, don't take any credit, don't take any blame. When you're doing a session with someone, that's their energy, you are channeling for them. And I think in that case, where it is like energy healing, and I'm like literally tapping into someone's physical energy, like they would be physical or digital sessions. But I think that it is more important to have energetic boundaries in that versus like a tarot reading, because I do feel like the cards kind of act as this boundary or act as this shield for me. So I don't know. I, I definitely think it's important. And I definitely think it depends on the client. Like there's some clients where I feel like they're a little bit more, they take a little bit more of your energy. They're a little bit more draining. And like in those ways, you don't want to have any ties to them. But I think like in experiences like ours, like we're friends that read for each other mm. and we have this like very equal exchange going back and forth. I think that in that case, it is easier to find the connections and is less harmful in like a sense of energetic boundaries to feel that connection. I think that it's for me when I do have like other clients that I feel connected to, I, I don't normally share that with them. That's more of a personal discovery. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good way that I keep the energetic boundary is because I acknowledge it, but I'm not taking up their time by talking about myself, but I'm not also taking up my own energy by exerting it and sharing something personal with them that they don't really need to know. I am receiving the downloads and I'm acknowledging that they also have to do with me because they're coming through me. But at the same time, there is that boundary, there's that shield where like, this is my client and I want to respect the compensation that they've given me for their own time, not put my own energy into it and not create this like cord between us. I love that you said like acknowledging that it's showing up in a reading, but then not necessarily expressing that and taking space okay. in the reading. You can like give it a mental check and be like, all right, this, I'm going to keep this kind of in my pocket for now and then keep, continue to move forward. You talk about mental health and we talked about reading with tarot, which I love. And I think you also use a lot of your essences to support with like mental health and things like that. Yes, and I recently heard from a friend that you had done a shadow work course workshop, right? Was it a workshop or course? It was a workshop. Yeah. Okay. So I do like one-time workshops. I was doing them like once a month and I want to keep doing that. And then this month I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do it twice a month. And then I, it was just too much for me. So I could not, I did some pop-ups this month and I'm like, once a month is good. So the next one I have coming up is on lunar magic. And it'll be, I think in like two weeks or so, I'm still picking the date out. But yeah, I, I had done that shadow work workshop, which was really awesome. And I think that shadow work is the perfect way to really get into the marriage of mental health and magic because shadow work originated with psychology, the concept of it in general. So I think shadow work is really important. I feel like shadow work is the distinguisher between 
irresponsible magic and responsible magic honestly like we were talking before like my personal shift and mm -hmm. I, I didn't do any shadow work when I was 17 I didn't know what that was so mm -hmm. it was until I started doing that that I really was able to kind of move into a more mindful magical practice can you explain to everybody what shadow work means and like what it is so the shadow is the parts of ourselves that are less desirable things that we maybe kind of shut out or try to turn down or try to ignore because we're unhappy with them. And the idea of shadow work is understanding them, working with them, taking accountability for them and learning how to um, create balance between them and your, your light attributes. And I also think shadow work is just a lot of like digging deep and understanding like the root of a lot of our maybe problematic thoughts or our thoughts that are less healing. That's beautiful. That's such a good <laughs> definition of it. Yeah. Thanks. I think that also that relates to so much where what we're currently experiencing in our society right now, like you really hit the nail, especially around like problematic views. And I think as we talk about as especially around the spiritual community, there's so much like spiritual bypassing that continues to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then also in terms of people not wanting to take responsibility and just leading things to like the 5D or just like, oh, we're just all a collective, but not taking any action completely on our 3D, like on this earthly plane at this time. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I feel like I don't think that you can do shadow work. It, it, you can claim to do shadow work, but not do it correctly if you're a spiritual bypasser. You know, mm -hmm. like I think that that's the other ends of the spectrum is like being in touch and in connection with your shadow. And if you're not, then you are, you know, this kind of like love and light type of spiritual bypassing energy where you kind of just, I don't know. Well, what it, what's your guys's like definition of spiritual bypassing? Because I feel like a lot of people don't, like we say this word, but I think it's, we should talk about, especially because we're like defining shadow work, you know, like mm -hmm. a lot of people that I feel like don't really know what spiritual bypassing is. Yeah. I've never actually heard that term. You've until never this, heard it? Yeah. Really? Oh, sweet, sorry. Um, so the way that I understand it and please like people let me know and like Emma, please let me know your thoughts on it. But from what I understood, what spiritual bypassing is, is kind of, it's often minimizing people's experiences mm -hmm. around yes. like who are usually marginalized or oppressed and saying that a lot of it has to do with like their own karmic ties or these are experiences of lessons that they need to learn, not really looking at things, recognizing that everybody has different experiences based on their own identities, really not acknowledging it and looking at things as like one unity versus individuals experiences part of like a good example would be like a person of color like you know is experiencing like a re-triggering or like some type of trauma and or experience like let's say probably hate like let's say that is part of it and and somebody who is like white coming and who is like white presenting and who is in the spiritual community but just says like oh it's probably just has to do with your past life karma from what I understood. I don't know, Emma, you can tell me what you can add all the things that. I've never heard of it in that lens of how you're saying like related to past life. Like I, 
I think that makes a lot of sense. And like, I've kind of, you know, I, I just read that book, Many Lives, Many Masters. Have you read it? You no. Read it? It's a really good mental health and magic combination. It's a, psychi- a psychiatrist wrote it about his experience of having a client kind of like regurgitate all these past lives and like neither of them believed in it. It's, it's an amazing book, but it got me thinking a lot about, you know, past lives and like how people do experience these really terrible things and how there is just like such a vast degree of abundance within lifetimes. And it did kind of make me think, well, oh, I wonder if that this has something to do with it, like past lives and stuff. So I think it's cool that you brought up that lens of it because I've never heard that. However, what I've heard, which I think is more of like a frequent thing would be like, so let's say the same example Danielle saying is like a person of color experiencing, explaining their experiences and a white person or a spiritual person in general. They, I mean, just someone who has more privilege than them just being like, oh, well, you know, it does, it's not going to serve you to be upset about that. Just, just let it go. Just like love and light. And like people who are just kind of like, oh, like, you know, I'm not going to focus on that because that's negative. Like, let's focus on the positive. Or when you're ex- expressing your experiences to someone, just be for them to just be like, oh, well, you're not going to get anywhere by being upset. Like, just try to, just try to be positive. Just try to be happy. And yeah. it's something that can happen within your own self too. Like if you personally are upset about something, and I feel like me and Danielle are talking because we were talking about what's going on in the world right now. We're talking about it from more of a a lens that has to do with other people and has to do with race because that's what the world is focusing on right now. But I think it can also be something that happens within yourself of you being like, oh, I feel upset about this. And you're like, oh, well, whatever, just move on. You know, it's it's kind of like the lack of acknowledgement of the shadow or any deep emotion thinking it's not positive or not serving you. The shadow work, we learn that the shadow does serve us and has more lessons for us than the light most times. Totally. And it also like to add, sorry, we're really going deep into it. Good. But it also (laughs) is that recognizing like people's socioeconomic status can be a part of spiritual bypassing. So people would be like, because we, there's again, this really big, you know, push around manifesting abundance, which is very tricky. Like I even get like caught up in it sometimes, you know, but there's a sense of people who experience, you know, poverty that they can just manifest their way out of it, or, you know, they can create, they can manifest their dream car, which isn't necessarily like, that's not the case based on due to people's experiences and where they're at in life and that's part of it and then also like I love that you talked about that direction of inwards because I don't always think about bringing it back inwards all the time especially when we're just based on where we're at right now in terms of where I think our energy is really being pushed to is looking at the collective and the way that our society is growing, especially in North America. It's okay to feel these sadnesses, like sadness and anger and, you know, depression. Like we can lean into those things. That doesn't mean like we're going to, I don't know, screw things up for ourselves or screw up our paths if we continue to lean into those things. I think acknowledgement is a part of that, but that's just my perspective of it. Something you were saying was reminding me of this meme that I saw and it was like, is it manifestation or is it privilege? And I think that (laughs) like wraps up what spiritual bypassing is is through shadow work we have to acknowledge our privilege of course and like that is the shadow work of the collective you know mm-hmm. is 
acknowledging that. And that's what we're all being called to do right now. But I think that there is just, we're saying like this importance of understanding that the spiritual communities and spiritual energies can kind of be this thing that seems to be a luxury or a privilege and like really breaking it down to be like, it doesn't have to be. And it can be this thing that is accessible to everyone if we make it accessible. You know, like if you really think about how we can do that. And I think that's important. Accessibility is something that continues to come up for me. I know we talk about it, mm-hmm. Lee and I, especially in our own practice of what to offer. And I wonder if you have any like tips or things to think about, about creating your practice accessible, because I know you do that quite often and you really try. Um, actually, you both do really great jobs at doing that. I just want to say that. It's very clear. <laughs> and I think that a lot of practitioners at this time are really struggling with how to create accessibility, but also be respected, even if that means monetization, because we do have to live. We do have to, you know, create a life for ourselves. And yeah, we live in a capitalist society, but we we have to still navigate that and create a life that is sustainable for ourselves. And, and I'm curious, how do you navigate that? And how do you create accessibility yet still trying to, to create a life for yourself? I keep saying create a life for yourself, but I guess that's how it goes. (laughs) And I know we're all still learning this and it's just, we're like, I know you're not, we're all not there yet. Like I know that, but I'm just curious how you all are trying to like get yourselves up. Yeah. Trying to do it. I don't know. So yeah, I feel like this is something that I think about a lot because I think it's important. You know, I I hate the idea that people think, you know, oh, I don't I don't have money for, you know, to pay my rent. Like I can't get a tower reading. Cause I do think it is something that really helps me mm-hmm. in, in a mental health state, you know, like I really do feel like it helps me and that's why I want to share it with people. So for the past couple of months, from pretty much from when coronavirus started, like March to about like three weeks ago. I was offering donation-based readings. You know, we had spoken a lot about me raising my prices and I knew that I wanted to raise my prices after my donation-based reading. I was like, I'm going to do this for a while, but when it's over, I'm going to raise my prices. I think it'll be a good way to do it from like Mm -hmm. to come back and like, it's like a new offering because I'm changing things, you know? So that's something that I did. And because I raised my prices, I wanted to kind of balance that out. So I've been trying to do a lot of giveaways where within all the giveaways to enter, you just kind of donate to different organizations that I choose. I did a tarot giveaway for this organization, Beam, which is really great. They help Black people and marginalized people who typically don't have access to mental health because mental health is a privilege as well. Be able to receive healing from that. So whether they come into already existing facilities and train the people there to be able to perpetuate the ideals that they have, or they kind of send their own employees in there. They do a lot of different things, but so that's something that I was doing. And for all of my like workshops, I was saying uh, that we were talking about like my shadow work workshop, I make all of them sliding scale because, you know, it's just a one time event. And if you want to come and you don't have a lot of money, like I make them 10 to 35. I think that's a really like large scale. I try to think about like what I would pay for an event like that because I am 
typically my main customer. And I make all of my workshops free for Black and Indigenous people of color as well. And I think I will continue to do that always. And I, I also have some products. I have this new oil that I made, temperance oil, and 50% of the sales will always go to this organization called For the Girl for the girls. It's G-W-O-R-L-S. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but they help support predominantly Black trans people, but trans people receive rent and gender affirming surgery funds. You know, that's like a special product that I made with the, I was like, I want to make a product that all the time, 50% of the proceeds go to the donation. Because the things I was doing were kind of just like things that popped up, but I wanted something to be sustainable within my product line that can give back. And I think that when I get down to like what my business is, it's a business of healing. And I think what better way to perpetuate healing than to have these cycles of like giving and receiving healing. And like, I really like the idea that with the giveaways and with this product, people are purchasing something that provides them healing through money that provides healing to other people. And I really love being able to be that vessel to kind of help facilitate that. Like when I think about it, I just think of this like overflowing like windmill, like like a cycle of just continuing the energy, <laughs> you know? I've been working hard at trying to make my practice and everything I do as accessible and egalitarian as possible just because I do strongly believe that because of the history of witchcraft in general and being constantly targeting mar marginalized people, if you're practicing magic and you're not focusing on those people and trying to raise them up and trying to help them, then your magic and your practice is kind of a disservice to the history that witches and magical practitioners have suffered. Still trying to figure it out the best ways to make my own things what I want it to be while still able to make money to support myself and my husband. But it's definitely a process. Yeah. And I think sliding scales and donation work is definitely something that I want to, like, I would like to integrate more, especially when I move my services like change them in the near future. Mm -hmm. It's so hard because also coming from a social service background, seeing that the work that we do, because we do a lot of work, like I don't think people really realize like how much emotional labor we give when we're doing our magic or creating magic or doing any like tarot readings or anything like that. That is such an emotional service and, and, and it is labor, like emotional labor and how much it is not regarded in our society. And I, so when I think about our practice, I equate the same, like those are very similar to like social work and yet also that the fact is like it's always been related to like women's work and how women's work is not valued and yet we're still continue to be underpaid and i also have a hard time because i'm like also do i don't want to devalue myself in any way either because if i devalue it then i'm not really recognizing like how much power we do hold and to give and so it's like we need to figure out this constant balance, but I don't know if we will ever figure out that balance. But I'm also, I think it's important that people understand these are the things that we talk about and we have conversations with ourselves as practitioners when, so that you understand like where we're coming when we're figuring out our prices as well. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just something that continues to show up for me. And I know that it continues to be a, a topic of conversation especially, I know, between you two. I think I talk about this m the most with you two <laughs> lately <laughs> than anybody else, but I just wanted to talk about that and hear what people had to say. 
Well, I think that, you know, since we've been talking about this marriage of mental health and magic, I want to share with you guys something that my therapist shared with me when I was talking to her about, you know, wanting to raise my prices, but like feeling a little bit guilty. And like, I had spoken to her about our conversations about like value and like, you know, all, all these different factors. And she said to me, well, you know, as a therapist, she's like, my rates go up every year because I become more knowledgeable. So why wouldn't yours? If you, every year that you are reading and practicing, you become more knowledgeable, which is entirely true. I mean, within changing my prices, I was like, I'm a tarot teacher now. Like I teach other people how to read. So why shouldn't my prices be higher than like maybe some prices that my students are going to set. Like, obviously I don't know what their prices are going to be, but I, what they were, what my prices were, were, were pretty low and very reasonable. So I'm like, and also I think with what we're talking about, like accessibility, like there's no reason why we can't have so like options, you know, like Mm -hmm. my cheapest reading is $20, my most expensive. If you were to add video chat, if you were to add a spell consultation, if you were to add a custom product, it's like a hundred, but you're getting like so much for that, you know? So I really think giving people the options of, do I want to spend $20 or do I want to spend a hundred dollars if I'm going to get this amount of energy or this amount of energy is really a strong way to like, again, like set those energetic boundaries. Mm-hmm. And another thing I want to share with you guys that's coming up, my, my mentor, Lindsay, she shared with me something that her mentor shared with her, which is something about, I believe that the thought, the school of thought originated within Buddhism, but about how when people receive healing from you, if they don't give you something in return, they have difficulty taking claim to that or like infiltrating that healing. People want to feel like they are doing the work for themselves because they are, you know, by receiving a reading, you're doing the work for yourself, but someone is helping you through the channeling. So to charge energy, to charge money, I mean, money is energy, but to charge money for your services allows people to claim that by purchasing it. And then they feel like they can accept it more and like accept that healing more. Yeah, I totally agree. And especially around like knowledge as well and people's experience and what they have to offer, especially like in any type of practice and what you're adding to it. Like there are people like, I don't know, we keep going back to tarot because I think we're all pretty grounded in that, but it's like someone just reading cards, like literally just looking at the cards and like saying, okay, this is traditionally what they're supposed to be when they're, you know, read, but don't really looking at the whole story. But then also for me, another layer to it is like, I can't just like, I can't not acknowledge that I do have like a social work background or that I do have like intuitive experiences that I'm a psychic, like that I'm also, you know, connecting to people's guides. Like that is so much more encompassing than what maybe necessarily like another reader, you know what I mean? Like we don't, like we have to, it's, but that's also comes down to like us marketing ourselves, which is also very uncomfortable and like, especially having to like prop ourselves up. But that's also where people don't understand what they're putting their, like, investing into as well. This is interesting. Somebody told me this, and I think I might have told you this. And I actually might have told you both because I talk to you about this stuff all the time. Because this seems to be a conversation that we're all trying to navigate is about reclaiming. And a part of reclaiming this, you know, not being so scared about 
money or abundance or what that means is recognizing I'm not equating this as like the trickle down theory because I don't believe in trickle down theory. That's not, if anybody knows what the trickle down theory means, it's somebody getting a lot of money and then like, you know, spending it towards other people, but that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm saying is when people who experience money who are like at an energetic, if we're going to go energetically, like at a place of really wanting to shift the collective and the vibration of like our community and our and our society and actively changing it, a part of experiencing abundance is being able to then be able to donate to organizations also being more intentional about like where we're spending our money and not like being and not spending it at bigger corporations and that's like a way of reclaiming capitalism in some some sense you know what i mean we need to like shift our mindset of what this means could be leading the path of reclaiming our power and and propping other people up and we need to do that a bit more and i don't know and I think people have a really hard time understanding that or recognizing like that if you invest in certain people, people will honor, especially if you believe in their politics or you believe like how they view the world and how their business practices is like, we have to be way more intentional. And I don't think we do that enough. I think a lot of what you're saying breaks down to what we've talked about a little bit before, but the idea of this lack mindset, which is like vibrating on fear. Mm -hmm. which is something that capitalism kind of forces us to think about. If you don't look out for yourself, no one's going to look out for you, which is not really true energetically. Like we know that when you give abundance, you receive abundance. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying with like that watermill like imagery before with like the healing like circle, like this healing cycle of like giving and receiving healing through energetic ways. I think that that's true about abundance too. Like the more that you give without, the fear of it coming back to you, you just give from a true like place of love and a true place of healing, the more that you will receive from that place. And the first time that I ever heard of that concept was when I first started working with the first goddess that I work with, which is Lakshmi. She's a Hindu goddess and she's the goddess of prosperity. And I, I actually took this yoga class at my local witch store, which is called Catland Books. They have yoga for witches. And the teacher was talking a lot about Lakshmi and I had heard of her a bunch of times before, but this felt really strong. And I was like, maybe I should do a spell with her. This is like totally what got me into goddess work, but she was talking about her and she was like, Lakshmi gives from a place of pure abundance because she never has any fear. She knows she will always be supported. The universe will always be there for her and that whatever she gives, she will always receive back times three with, you know, the rule of three. And that was really powerful to me. And that's like, I, also with my workshops, I taught a prosperity workshop and that was the main thing that I was saying. I'm like, you know, prosperity comes through abundance and abundance is cyclical. So once we feel abundant, we can give abundance. And once we give abundance, we can receive abundance. And I think it is all about like, like you're saying, like reclaiming our minds from like being conditioned to think from capitalism that we have to push others down to achieve success, which is not the truth. You know, like I think to kind of simplify what we're saying, like you're saying like lifting, uplifting voices. So if you think, oh, I don't want to uplift other tarot, tarot readers because maybe they'll go to them instead of me, which it's like to come from a place of true security and abundance, knowing that you have something special to offer. Like you're saying, like I 
have this social work background. I have, you know, psychic talents, knowing that when you uplift other people, it's not going to take away from you because you have this special energy within your readings, but it's just going to help create that cycle of abundance for others. That was so beautifully said. Well, I'm going to continue on the serious note because I have some feelings lately and it's about ableism in tarot and specifically around people's hesitancy to purchase like online readings and readings around like energetic, like by video and things like that. And the reason why I'm labeling this as ableism because of the current like pandemic that we're in, I think people forget, and this is, I think, so ingrained in terms of people thinking about how readings should go or energetic work should be, is that I think having this pandemic work really, well, during this pandemic, really talked about ableism, recognizing that people with health issues or autoimmune issues or people who are your tarot readers or readers or even your energetic workers who have those conditions can't necessarily continue to still meet with clients during this time because of the pandemic. Like it's just isn't safe at this experience and or during our time. And I think that it's connected to I it 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 brings up a lot of feelings for me because a part of like what people have said to me in the past is that their hesitancy of like connecting through video or like through email readings or anything is that the energy wouldn't be as strong because of that then that means like it wouldn't it wouldn't have the same feel and to me that's like kind of ableist like to me that's an ableist viewpoint because as we know now in the pandemic like people have been doing this work virtually for a really long time and that has been such like honestly a lifesaver for me because people started to really like want to take on these readings and really recognize just because we're at a distance doesn't mean that the energy is not connecting. And I'm just curious how people think about that. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like for me, because I mean, obviously you guys are doing way better in Canada with the coronavirus than we are in America. So I haven't had any clients who are like interested in meeting up with me because they're also scared. If yeah. anything, I feel like this time has really allowed people to understand how powerful like my audio readings are because they're like, I need a reading, but I'm obviously like, we're not going to hang out. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's allowed people who do have that fear to kind of explore more in being like, okay, like whatever, maybe it won't be as good, but I'll try it. And then they see like, oh, there really isn't that much of a difference between you know, receiving a reading virtually versus being in person. I mean, I started sending my readings as audio messages because of our relationship. Like I had never heard of that before. And I know that's something that you did and we did with each other. So I started doing that with clients because I just feel like from both a reader and client perspective, because obviously we are both to each other, like we receive the audio Mm -hmm. messages them. I really like being able to pause it and listen to it whenever I want and re-listen to it and journal and like pause and journal. And like, it really helps me like break down the reading more. And that's kind of what I say to clients. Like when I tell them, you know, this is what I do. And they're always kind of like, okay, that seems cool. Like, you know, but from a reader's perspective, it helps you put those energetic boundaries up as well, because Mm -hmm 
you guys are both tower readers. I'm sure you guys have experienced when there's clients who aren't really um, mindful of your time and like kind of cut you off or ask you the same question or like get very caught up in like the specifics of the card. Like, well, that card's reversed. What does that mean? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm telling you the whole message. You know, like there's, it's easier to, I think, channel when you can just straight channel. And it's also easier to receive when you can hear a straight channel. So I don't know. That doesn't really, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm going a little bit off topic, but I'm, I personally have not experienced that, but I do think it has to do with the fact that we live in different countries and like how our different countries are handling the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I also think like now things are shifting, like people are starting to really like get it, but then also not understand it. And I'm just like, what it has always been the hesitancy. And I think it's just been something that I've been really like trying to understand and if you're supporting people that you care about like a reader or something like that like there's a reason why you're connected to them the probability of you finding finding any of us out is because of social media so that there you go is like there's an energetic social distance connection there right and I yeah. think just reframing things and really recognizing like you know distance shouldn't be a hesitancy for people Mm -hmm. I also think that a part of having social distance readings are great is because you get to be in the comfort of your own home in a lot of ways as somebody who maybe experienced anxiety or, you know, has, has a really hard time grounding yourself when experiencing hard messages. How beautiful is it to be in the comfort of your own home with your own items with you that can allow you to regulate. And I, and especially during like live readings, like I offer live readings. And I think that that was, I felt like that was such a beautiful experience of being able to do that. And there's other ways of like recording things for them and all that stuff. I just think ableism in tarot reading continues to happen. And it's just, how do we navigate? And I know that there's, this is only one piece of ableism within tarot reading. I know that there's other ways, like, especially when we're doing recorded messages for the people who are part of the deaf community, like there are things that we definitely need to shift as readers. And even like the way that we need to make our, our podcast accessible. And we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. That's just like one term of the coin. I don't know. It's just like, something that continues to come out and I just felt like it needed to be said at some point and like as we're in a group of tarot readers like I think that this is just a, one of those ways of having it out kind of thing yeah it's like you're saying like accessibility in the way of the deaf community and you know e even just people who I, I have this one client on Etsy who purchased a reading for me pretty much immediately after I sent it I'm like looking back at our messages and I'm looking at her name and I'm like wait, this woman lives in Sweden. So I was like, are you going to be able to understand this? And she could because, you know, every other country in the world like makes everyone learn English for, you know, they're all amazing for doing that. And we're never expected to learn any other thing. Pretty <laughs> disgusting. But, anyway, she understand it, but because of that experience on like my tarot menu, I do have a note saying, you know, these are voice recorded messages. If that doesn't work for you, just let me know. And I'll type it upon request for no additional charge, just instead of a the voice recording. And I think things like that are, they're really important because they're, I think not only for the accessibility, but the way that we can share our magic with all types of people, you know, like it made me so happy to give a reading to a woman who lives in Sweden and just knowing that like our magic is going such a strong distance to mm. connect with each other is just such a beautiful and a heartwarming thing to me. It's just cool. You know, it's cool to connect with people who have different experiences 
than you. And it's interesting that you brought up the deaf community because I feel like a lot of people in my life have been talking to me about like ASL. And I actually, a couple of years ago when I was in high school, like I took ASL as my language. So I'm, I was fluent in it, haven't practiced it as much since then. So definitely a sim lost, but at a time I was able to fluently communicate, you know, with deaf people. And I've had experiences where I've seen deaf people in public and helps give them directions and stuff. You know, I'm happy that, <laughs> that people are caring about understanding sign language because it is like really just like beautiful. This honestly might be a little bit problematic to say, but signing is fun. Like it's, it's actually like a good, like fun, beautiful thing. Like I remember when we were learning, the best way to learn was to like sign songs and like to watch music videos of people signing songs. And I recently saw this video of someone signing WAP, the new Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B song. Cause you know, like you dance with it, there's attitude, like it's just cool. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I just love the idea of not only tarot and like spiritual things, but everything just becoming more inclusive and accessible. And just like the idea that things that bring us joy, bring other people joy. And like, how can we help share that? And how yeah. can we? So I feel like, we talk about a lot of financial blockages of not being able to be in the magical community. Mm -hmm. But I often think about physical disabilities or being deaf, anything like that, that is another barrier that a lot of people don't make space for, which is why like the first time I did a tarot workshop, part of the stuff that I had in my workbook was like basically things that you can do to understand and read tarot without, if you have disabilities that make it difficult to like shuffle cards or work with a deck in that way. Because I do believe that if magic isn't inclusive, there's not a massive point because everyone should have that be able to be in a space because as like able-bodied people it doesn't take us that much more work to make things inclusive mm -hmm. and accessible and that goes back to gatekeeping like yeah. then we're just continuing to gatekeep magic for only able-bodied people yeah which or is like that cool <laughs> yeah which is really gross yeah Maybe we'll talk about like spell work. You two both practice spell work. I practice spell work as well. And mm -hmm. oh, I think I want to go back to um, what you said in the beginning around words being spells mm -hmm. and our thoughts being spells and that any tool that we add to that is just additional support. And I wonder if you could talk about those things a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that kind of ties in of what we were just talking about of ableism in whatever type of way, like magic doesn't need any of that. That is something I say in all of my workshops, all of my classes, everything that I'm telling you is optional. Like you don't need anything but your mind and a quiet space to do. And you don't even, I mean, honestly, I do spots on the subway sometimes. Like you, <laughs> you just literally need the concentration and the thought to do magic and that's it that's all it is and you know whatever makes you feel comfortable like with my spell work like I I have my background is in design and I have a strong interest in like curating so I do like to use a lot of objects in my spells and like I have a lot of crystals I like to use a lot of crystals I like to use imagery artwork all these things to kind of build my altar but that's not to say that someone who has an altar with one crystal and one candle is not as powerful as mine. It's just the intention that goes into it and the time and the energy. You know, we can add on as much as possible. We can style our spells as much as possible that we want or as much as aligns with us, but it's really just about the concentration and getting to the core attributes of what we're trying to manifest. 
So one thing that I'm trying to retrain myself in my own magic is, and doing a lot of research into really old, old European magic is helping this, is kind of removing myself from all of the pomp and circumstance that's laid out in a lot of spell books and magic books and everything and just returning to myself a bit and being like, okay, what one like makes me feel the most powerful, whether that's just working with myself or really base things. Having stuff around is fun. I, I, I like things, mm-hmm. but I think it is important to remind people that those aren't essential when it comes to spell work. Do you typically, or I mean, you said you're trying to retrain yourself. So have you in the past with your spell work, like do you follow spell like recipes? Have you ever done that in your practice? Um, Not a lot. Like usually I'll go through different books and kind of find ideas and then build my own spells. But in the past they've been, I've not, I've never been like super aggressive or specific. I'm definitely am probably more DIY than a lot of people with a lot of my magic. I think I easily get distracted by the idea in the back of my head that maybe I should be putting more into my magic as far as physical objects, which isn't true. But yeah, I guess I'm just trying to simplify and also just listen to my intuition more as well when building spells. I feel like when I was first learning magic and I didn't really have like a community to consult with and I was just learning from books, like I would follow or try to with like the ingredients that I had. I remember like just putting like spices for my mom's spice cabinet, like on like tea like candles, <laughs> like, you know, just to do my first spell. And I think it does like a lot of that personal creation and the DIY and like trusting the intuition. I think it all comes with, it's all about trusting yourself. And I think like when you're first getting started, it's really hard to do that because you're like, what is this? What am I doing? It's hard to trust magic and then it's hard to trust yourself so I think the more that you practice the more you get to know the more you trust your ability to conjure the easier it is to figure out what will fit your needs for the spell that you're working for I love that you talk about like kitchen spaces because I still do that if I'm making spells for my candle magic I don't know sometimes you just don't have things and you're just kind of like whatever this is what I want to add this is what I need (laughs) I think that's so powerful, especially because it's not like wasteful in any way. Like mm-hmm. you're meal, you might as well put magic into it. Exactly. It's also good when like you're in a time crunch, like you don't have time to build an altar. You're just gonna season your vegetables with like some intentional herbs or even not herbs, just put the energy into the pan, you know? Exactly. And I think also like people are very particular about altars as well. And I'm not one of those people, like I definitely have an altar, but it's all of the things that represent either things that I want to manifest or just, I believe that gives like energetic healing for me in my own space. And that's what it needs. I think people complicate magic way too much. Having elaborate like altar and like the way that we see magic now that's being advertised on Instagram is very capitalistic in a lot of ways because it like makes you feel like you need to have all of these certain items, which again is not the way that we like to practice magic. You know what I mean? I think that that's where we really need to start shifting. And I love that that you said all you need is just like your words and your mind and a quiet space because I truly do believe in that too. I also wanted to chat a little bit around goddesses and gods or whoever goddesses 
right? And I'm curious how you work with them. Like I, there's so many things that we could talk about. And I'm sure we're going to talk about all the things, but if you have anything that you wanted to add about that, that would be sweet because I don't think we've talked about that yet on our podcast. And so if you want to talk about that and your journey with that, that'd be cool too. Totally. I do have a lot of goddesses that I work with and I I would say goddess work is more of like a, like an addition to my older magical practice. Like I, like I was saying, I only started doing it maybe like a year or two years ago, but I definitely feel like it was a powerful shift for me in working with goddesses and how I think about gods and goddesses is as an archetype. I believe in the universe as my higher power. I don't believe in gods or goddesses. I believe in the sacredness of the archetype and the sacredness of the stories. And I like to envision that the goddesses and gods that I work with are kind of like these concentrated channels for my intention. So when I'm working with a prosperity goddess, I don't believe that she's truly sitting above me, but more so she is a manifestation of the universe and that the universe is so vast and this concentration of this energy through this archetype will help me further channel my intention. And with within the gods and goddesses that I work with, I feel like, uh, I mean, I know that all of them, the way that I start working with them is like they contact me. And sometimes it's, it it happens in a lot of different ways. Like I was saying with Lakshmi, I had known of Lakshmi for a long time. Like I had been aware of her and like, I know what she looks like, her existence, what she does. I've always had an interest in Hindu deities. I went to India, I visited temples of Lakshmi and, you know, she had been around in my mind, but it wasn't until I had this, this experience with this yoga class where I felt like, wow, this is coming up a lot. Like this is a strong synchronicity and like, maybe I should try to do a spell with this goddess, even though I've never done that before. Like maybe this is something I should open myself up to. And once I did, and like I had that, I, so basically when I find, or I feel that a new God or goddess is contacting me, what I'll do is I'll set an altar for them intuitively. I have a book, um, it's called Find Your Goddesses by Sky Alexander. And it has all information of the stories and it's like falling apart literally, but stories and imagery of a whole bunch of different goddesses. So I'll, I'll put this up. I'll read it, you know, read about the history. I'll research them. And then I'll kind of put it up on the altar with whatever other intuitive objects that I want to work with. Um, which again, like we're saying, not necessary, but I like to do. I think that when you're working with goddesses, especially goddesses that are not Obviously, Hinduism is not my culture. Goddesses that are not a part of a culture, I think it's really important to research what they are, who they are, and like honor that. And like whether my way of honoring, because I love altar building, is to build an altar. If your way of honoring is not that, maybe you cook a meal with the intention of the goddess and like be like, this is my offering to you, you know, but talk to the goddess. Like, is this, do you want to work with me? Like, is this, yeah. are you speaking to me? Is this really a synchronicity? And through that, how I do that is just through meditation of just kind of envisioning them. Or sometimes I'll even speak aloud, whatever feels intuitive. But another way that I like to honor the, the deities that I work with is by making products for them. A lot of my products are inspired by goddesses and a lot of them, you know, that, that, that is my offering to them, to add them to like my permanent product line, to constantly be thinking of them, manifesting them, working with them. I think that that for me 
in relation to how I work with my magic, to me, that is the greatest offering that I can give them. So I do have a couple of like the oceanic goddess oil in my line is for the Yoruba goddess Oshun, who I work with. Again, because Yoruba is not my religion or my culture, I didn't feel like it was right to name the oil Oshun, more so of Oceanic Goddess, which is what Oshun is. But I wanted I wanted it to be something that wasn't trying to like capitalize on the goddess, but it is for her. And I know that it's for her. And same with my, my prosperity oil. It's for Lakshmi. It's not called the Lakshmi oil, but it's for her. You know, there is, it's interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. Something I'm realizing is like the oils that I have that are named after deities that I don't work with are there. Like I have an Athena oil because it's about connecting to your inner wisdom. Athena is the goddess of wisdom. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense for me to name it Athena. And then I have a Helios oil. He's the sun god. I don't really work with them, but I feel like we're like acquaintances. I have like four goddesses that I like hardcore work with. Other than that, I feel like they're just like acquaintances. And then I have other ones that'll come in. I'll work with for a little bit. Again, we'll, we'll be friends, we hang out, but like my like four main goddesses, I would say are Lakshmi, Oshun, Kali, and Lilith. And Lilith is my matron goddess. So she, when I don't know who to go to, I go to her. Cause she's yeah. always around for me. <laughs> Lilith was really strong for me for a little while as well. Mm-hmm. I definitely have like a couple that I like to work with and it's definitely, and I love that you talked about we're, we're pals for a little while because when I'm creating or like doing like a ritual or something like that, I may not even want to work with any like goddesses or whoever. And, um, and when I'm working, like sometimes when I'm preparing, I'll get a name will pop up Mm. and I'm like, okay, they want to like come and chill for this spell work, like, or for this ritual, like let's, let's work together. And I think that's really exciting too. Do you work with any? Yeah, my main goddesses, like my matron goddess is Mara, who's a Latvian Baltic goddess. And then Bast, or Bastet, is like the goddess I was like, devoted myself to. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, so Bastet is one of the goddesses that I like, I would say we're friends, but she's not like one of my like main goddesses. There was a time where probably about like a year and a half ago, I just really needed some protection. Like I wasn't feeling safe where I was living. And like, I had all these experiences that I needed some protection. And I, I remember doing this like bath, like a bath protection ritual. And I made this altar for her. And very soon after that, I got my cat and I feel like, not that my cat necessarily protects me, but I haven't had any of those experiences that I've been trying to protect myself since. So I really did feel like she heard me and sent me this little messenger of hers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we have this friendship now, but I wouldn't, I don't feel like I'm like, oh, like I go to her. I I guess I go to her for protection, but it's kind of rare that I do protection rituals. I got this reading once and they were like, question protection. And I, I always think about that when I think about protection rituals because I'm like hmm what does that truly mean but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a whole other thing but <laughs> yeah I think working with deities can be really powerful but also definitely not necessary like I said I do believe that the universe is like my overarching higher power so sometimes it's just about talking to the universe and there's definitely was a phase where I was like doing really heavy goddess work that I was like well I haven't been talking to just the universe like 101 in a while and like I got to do that so like it there's all like the balance of making sure that everyone's getting some of your attention and appreciation and like mm-hmm. them all. Mm-hmm. it's true I like to think about the gods and goddesses and goddesses that I work with are just kind of like 
almost like my guides in a lot of ways too. I don't see them as, yeah, anybody that I only solely work with my own higher power. They definitely are just like part of that network of support and care. That That's how I like to work with them. Totally. I definitely feel like they are similar to guides and like that they interlock. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get called to work with the particular goddesses that you were, or you're working with? I feel like it's all through synchronicity. Like I was saying with my experience with Lakshmi, it was like this one major synchronicity that kind of like made me remember all these other synchronicities. And I think that that really is the thing, like it's just listening and paying attention to those synchronicities. And a lot of times when I do work with a goddess, I'm like, have you been trying to work with me? And they're like, yeah, for like years and you don't listen, <laughs> you know? I think it is just about like understanding and like knowing like what's coming up and Obviously, I read like a lot of magical literature and there are a lot of goddesses and gods that like their names do pop up. So it's about which ones is there. It's just a feeling. Honestly, there's just like there's a connection when I'm reading about one versus another. I feel drawn in this direction. And if I I wouldn't work with a god or a goddess if I just like I'm reading one thing about them and I'm like, oh, cool. I feel drawn to them. I'm going to work with them or like I don't if I'm like, I'm doing a, an energy clearing spell, like what, what goddesses are good with that? Like, that's not how I work with them. It's more so of, I will recognize a draw and I'll wait to see if there's more synchronicities. And then if there are, then I'll like kind of do this talking to them and seeing like what they're, what I'm being called to work with them for. But synchronicities are, you know, that's how I receive most of my messages, I think from the universe are from synchronicities. Same. I think that happened for me with regards to like um, working with Hecate. I know there's other people like to pronounce her name differently, but that's the way that she has always told me to pronounce her name. So I'm going to do it. But yeah, that was a big part of it. I think I had seen a spiritual worker before who had told me that she really wanted to work with me. And it was interesting as I researched her, a lot of the work that I was doing was grounded in the work that she really likes to support people with. And also in terms of, I've lived in a building that was like not dog friendly at all. And she loves, she, part of her guards are like dogs. And then all of a sudden, everybody had a dog. Literally, like everybody that moved in started having a dog. And there's still so many dogs that are in my building. So that was also another sign for me that really drawn to get a dog mm -hmm, mm -hmm, to work with her. And it's been such a beautiful relationship in terms of the work that I do in general has always been guided with her. And I, um, it's just, it's been really lovely. Like, especially in meditation, mm -hmm. she comes to me in meditation. And, and it's beautiful. It's just like such an, a warm experience, which is so funny because a lot of people think she's not warm, <laughs> that she's really scary <laughs> to work with, but she's, to my relationship, it's not at all the same. Like I don't see her as that, as any of those things. I yeah. feel like people feel that way about Lilith as well. And I'm like, she loves me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm happy you actually bought up Hecate because she she's a really good example of me of like a goddess that I, we just don't have that connection. And a lot of people do think she's scary. So I was like, Oh my God, I don't have a connection with her. Like, is she going to not like me? But no, it's just like, sometimes it's just not there. And it's cool because like, I've tried to work with her and I just didn't feel it. And like, I think it's a good thing to acknowledge that like, you're, 
you're not going to like every person. Every goddess isn't going to like you, you know, like there is like these special connections and that knowing that I didn't have that connection with her further solidifies my connection with the goddesses I do have one with, because Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can actually feel the difference when I work with this goddess versus this one of like, this feels more aligned and this Mm -hmm. does not. Sometimes in my readings, I'll use Oracle decks as advice. And I have a goddess deck that I use and I have, I have one deck that's like the spells deck and then another one that's a goddess deck. And the spells deck also has some goddesses in it. And I was giving a reading to a client and Hecate came through and I was like, I want you to really understand like, this is very specific to you because we do not have a relationship and it's something we've established between each other. And the client came back and was like, that's my matron goddess. I work with her all the time. I'm not surprised that she came through. So that's really powerful. And it's cool it was cool for me because I was like, I'm happy that I understand and like I'm educated on this goddess, even though I don't work with her. Like I still know of her and I know what she governs and I know what she does. And it's helps me to help my clients through that knowledge. So I'm happy that you brought her up because I think that that's also an important point that of like my knowledge with goddesses of like knowing which goddesses that you don't connect with. There is like, this seems to be this push specifically with like, Hegate, but I'm like kind of roll my eyes about them. So that's just me. But and I'm trying not to be judgy. So that's just me. But I think people force their way of working with certain gods or goddesses or goddesses or how, whoever they connect with because of the fact that it's kind of assumed that this entity or deity has a relationship to like a certain belief system or like specifically like with Hecate with paganism and like Wicca, you know what I mean? And so that means like, okay, that's just an automatic, like you get to work with this human and, and especially around like, I don't know, the goth witches. It's just like, I'm not, I'm really trying not to be judgy, but, like, but it's just don't force something to to happen when it's just not meant for you and sometimes some people are just not meant to work with deities in general for the longest time with vast i was like i feel really called to her but i was like is it actually because i meant to work with her or is it because it's less like she's a pretty ubiquitous goddess in witchcraft maybe she's not for me and then i just kept getting so many messages where it's like okay this is a thing now. Cool. Yeah. yeah sometimes it's not, there's not meant to be a relationship there for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, looking for the signs is important. <laughs> yeah. And when people force that work, that working relationship, you're really blocking that deity's true energy and you're giving kind of like a false perspective of what they truly do to be like, for me, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think that You know, I think that that's something that is so great about like eclectic witchcraft or just like people who practice witchcraft without like having it in relation to a religion. Like there isn't necessarily this like obligation or this draw to like work with like you're saying like Hecate is the goddess of witchcraft. So a lot of people that do witchcraft are like, maybe I should work with Hecate. But it's like, no, maybe not, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think also like what you're saying, like with Bassett or through that lens is like also of like, I think it's cool that we have that freedom to kind of explore and like receive knowledge and like all these different cultures that hold magic and like honoring them without necessarily taking them or like mm-hmm. honoring them and like learning about them without necessarily claiming it is cool because I, I I feel like I did kind of go through this thing like when a lot of goddesses were talking to me I was like is this like not cool because I'm white 
And I think it is just about like, this, this is a personal part of my practice. It's not like I'm going around being like, hey, this is how you work with the Yoruba goddesses. Like, <laughs> that's not what, I don't think that that would be appropriate in any type mm -hmm. of way. But, you know, we have to kind of like honor and trust the messages that come to us because we know that they're meant for us, you know? And like, I think with goddess work and deity work, it is things that are so personal. And like a lot of times that that is the thing, like it's not meant to be shared. Like when I do my workshops, like especially with the prosperity workshop, I was like, I don't want to make this a ritual dedicated to Lakshmi because then I'm kind of forcing these people to work with a goddess that I have a relationship with. Exactly. So I just kind of geared it towards the universe, but within like the knowledge that I provide through my workshops, I'm like, these are some goddesses that are associated with prosperity. If you feel drawn to one, maybe read a little bit more about them, maybe feel a little bit more about what they're, they represent. And I think a lot of what working with deities is, is really just like reading about them and learning about them. And I don't mm -hmm. think that, I personally don't think that that's harmful in any way of mm -hmm. like being knowledgeable of like other cultures. And I think the issue comes with like when you're trying to capitalize on that or claim that as like things that are in like that you know about or like you're, you're the expert on and exactly. And I also think like when you build a relationship with like a deity, they may not typically like, I don't know, the only example I'm giving right now is abundance work, right? So they may normally don't always work with abundance work, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to support you with that abundance work because that's your connection, right, to them. And you have a partnership, right? I think people use deities as associated with like almost like the binary risk really like you know what I mean like you only work with certain deities because of a certain spell work or manifestation that you're trying to complete basically and I think that goes back to what we were saying before of like being very like rigid within like recipes for spells or like ingredients for spells and I think all of that has to just do with the journey of like trusting yourself. The more that you work with magic, the more you'll trust yourself, the more you'll feel the need to rely on like outer sources of knowledge or like specific sources of knowledge. And they, there will always be people who, you know, that's just their style. Like they're like, mm -hmm. they have strong attention to detail and they really like to use traditional ingredients and stuff like that. But, you know, there's no reason why you can't use like a rose quartz crystal in an abundance ritual, even though it's, for love it's still like if you feel drawn to it you feel drawn to it you know exactly again like trusting yourself and like we're it all is just full circle because like we're saying like it doesn't really matter what you use it doesn't really <laughs> matter what you use it doesn't really matter what crystals herbs whatever it's about your intention and if you have that, that pure connection with that goddess and you have that pure intention then you're going to be successful within your magic exactly mm -hmm. it's about just not shitting on other people's practices yeah but that's what it comes down to, I think, is just, like, no judgment. Like, stop judging, folks. Yeah. There's enough things to judge people about without bringing in. Exactly. <laughs> and some things that maybe actually need to be solved. That yeah. We don't need to, like, worry about people's spiritual beliefs. <laughs> exactly. There's bigger fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So lastly, I just kind of wanted to talk about is where do you see the collective shifting? Like, what is your current perspective of the collective at this time? Let's just say over the next couple of months or so, like, I know that you, you can do some predictory stuff. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think is yeah. where the shift is happening? Totally. Well, I'm actually happy that we're ending on this because after we stop recording, I'm going to go do my tarot scopes for the month. So I'm going to have to be shifting into collective consciousness anyway. <laughs> 
but it, it'll be interesting to see if the message that I shared now kind of comes through in those cards. That'll be a really cool test of my intuition. But yeah, I love thinking about the collective consciousness. I mean, I think you know this, but like I, what one of my degrees from school is in is like this idea of trend forecasting in a more uh, conceptual way for the collective. And then, you know, interpreting that through fashion or art or like all different things. So I think that right now, we're in like a really interesting place. I mean, I feel like we, we were like in a really dark time and we were doing like a, a lot of shadow work, but right now we're like in this phase where things are kind of settling into normal. I mean, like where I am in New York, obviously we had a lot of protests. There's not as many anymore. The guidelines are kind of shifting for COVID and things are kind of changing. And I think it's about integrating the messages that we've learned during this more trying time into this new normal. And like, I think it's more, almost more powerful what's happening now of like transitioning, I guess, new downloads and new mindsets and shifts that we've made into what is going to be our new normal, because we aren't in the the tower phase of things anymore we aren't in where things are falling apart we're rebuilding we're in the judgment phase so i think it's important for us to see how we're going to you know integrate it and i think it really shows like a lot of authenticity of like what people's true intentions are with the revolution and the changes of things you know if you see people on your timeline that are kind of just only posting things like normal life, whatever normal life is, you know, like just going back to posting selfies and like kind of stopping to share resources of like helping people and stuff. I think that that really is powerful to see how we can take what we've learned or what we've been exposed to and integrate it into a more um, sustainable way of knowledge and shifts. Because we were talking about that before of like, how can we be more accessible or how can we honor marginalized groups within our spiritual practices and i think like that is where we are shifting to is like how can we create these long-term reparations and these long-term shifts that will allow us to support each other in a better way and like how can we build up the community to support itself because the I mean, I don't know if you guys feel this way because again, like we do live in different countries, but I think here people are just kind of realizing like there is no, there is no support system from the government. There is no support system from the higher powers that we thought that there was. So how can we support each other now? And how can we shift, I guess, like the idea that like we're taken care of or like we're safe into we have to do that for ourselves. Yeah, I definitely think that now is the integration period. And like, although we live in two different countries, I do feel like there's specifically our province is not that far off from the US in terms of like your government and our current government. So that's just my side of it. I don't know, Leah may have Oh, yes. I have a lot of strong opinions about our <laughs> Yeah. Our so that's that's another story, but I do like I I do agree like the integration is happening and I'm but I do feel like this is and I'm curious to hear what you all both have to say. I do feel like it's only for a short period of time. I almost feel like it's like a testing period right now to see how much we really have learned before something additional comes in. Like I don't feel like the experience that we had with the pandemic specifically is that cycle is done. Like, I don't feel like it's done at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think like we inevitably are going to back, go back into quarantine, at least in the U S like the way Mm -hmm. that people are handling things and the way that things are going, especially with like 
they're going to start opening schools soon, which I, you know, that's a whole other situation, but I it's inevitable and kind of harmful to believe that things are over for sure. But I do think I agree with you with like this being a past period of like, did we really learn our lesson? And the universe is going to be like, I don't think he did. (laughs) (laughs) Go back to your room. (laughs) Exactly. Shadow work. (laughs) Unpack your feelings. Mm-hmm. get vulnerable thank you emma yes, you thank you this was so lovely i'm so glad we had this and i hopefully again i feel like this is just the tip of things i'm sure we'll have you back again because yeah. yeah, there's was- so much to grow from like you have so much knowledge and so emma where can people find you so you can find me on instagram at weaving.witch and then you can find me on etsy at weaving shop Thank you so much. Thank you.